0: church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California.
2: We're in a series called Artisan Faith. We're looking at the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. He writes uh, a letter for basically the instructions for new converts of, to faith, new Christians, on how to anchor their faith and be rooted in God. And the first three chapters, which we're, we're getting to chapter two, uh, the first three chapters are about what God has done already and who you are because of that. And then he transitions in chapter four to talk about what we are to do and how we are to live in view of what God's already done. So we're in, this, we're in chapter two. Um, the first chapter is kind of this grand view, this magnificent overview, this cosmic picture of the resurrection in the cosmos, in the world where Christ is sum up, summing up everything, bringing unity to all things, um, that Christ is filling the earth. And it's this beautiful grand picture. And then in chapter two, there's an abrupt transition into our lives, so I was prepared to preach a different sermon today that would take us all the way to, to verse 10. Um, and I, I felt on Thursday as I was preparing, I'm like, no, I need to break this up. It needs to be two separate talks. I was, I was overwhelmed by the first section. And, and I'm a guy that like likes to have a, somewhat of a plan. And so like I have all of our teachings mapped out till July. And I'm like, this is gonna mess everything up. Um, so I'm like, great, we'll just mess it up. And so I, I know you guys don't really care because next week, Ed's going to be here, and he'll be, <laughs> and he'll, he'll, he'll pick up um, verse 11, and he's got a timely talk. It's about how um, Jesus uh, is our peace, and the walls that divide us, the hostility that divides us, he wants to create a new humanity and unite us. I mean, could it be more timely? We need it now more than ever. Uh, I'll just be real honest. I just woke up today, and I had to confess anger just I have this anger for things going on that I haven't had before. And I'm realizing like I was just processing with Jesus and I'm realizing that even my particular views will make me a Pharisee if I just keep going down that route. That route, And so I was just confessing. But as I was reading this passage, I realized this is, this is really the answer. And so, um, so Ed will teach next week and then I'm gonna come back to this sermon and do the last two verses. Does that sound okay? Okay, so before I jump in, um, let me pray for the word and what God has to say. Because um, I'm, I'm basically, I'm not doing my normal, way, normal preaching style. Uh, I'm doing a Bible study. So it's going to be some heavy text and some interesting conversation. So, but I know you're for it, so that's cool. But let me pray um, that maybe God will, will give you what you need today and you'll hear what God has for us. So Lord, um, as we breathe in and out, we just accept the grace that is the atmosphere we live in that this is a gift, life is a gift. Um, And Lord, I thank you that we can come together as one body um, with diversity among us, with strong convictions um, among us, and laying those down to be centered around a living savior who is the incarnation of love and grace and truth, who uh, welcomes us and meets us exactly where we are, in um, death and brings life. Uh, Jesus, I pray uh, for this word this morning that as we break down your, your text, the scripture that, that was inspired by you um, through Paul, I pray that we would be good soil and just embrace it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, Ephesians 2. Let's read, read a couple verses. <laughs> And then we'll go from here. So, so there's an abrupt change. It goes from Christ filling the earth and everything in every way and power and might. And then it says this, verse two, uh, chapter two, verse one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Welcome to the garden. And we are so glad you're here. <laughs> we're gonna stop because I I was reading this and I get I just follow it all the way to the last few verses of, of this section to verse nine and 10. And it's just a beautiful picture of what God's doing. But but these these few verses are quite hard to read. Because the transition goes for, uh, Paul is painting a picture from this cosmic plan of redemption and resurrection to what resurrection looks like and what your life looks like personally. And, and he, he paints, he gives us this image that you were dead. You, and the best way as I'm reading it and I'm doing all this you know, back study, um, it's like the language, the best way I could describe it is God, uh, Paul is calling you all Zombies. And like the image of the walking dead has to be in your head as you read this text. I want you to picture a zombie in all of its grotesqueness, okay? Because that's, that's what's going on. Paul is saying, that's how you lived. You were dead to transgressions and sins. And this is just Paul's way of retelling the gospel, transgression. Um, this word, it means to uh, head down one particular road that you weren't supposed to head down. It means to slip. To, to fall away. It means that you're, you're walking down the wrong, you're walking in the wrong direction, you're missing the goal. And sin is to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It means the bullseye is here and you keep missing it. And so Paul is using this image, this language that we have to see because um, it's so important to understand what's next. And so Paul, there's three parts to this talk it's the problem. Paul presents, and then the solution that he presents that God has has done for us, and then our response. So that's what, there's three sections to this talk. So the problem that we face is that we were dead before Christ. We were dead, we were trapped, we were enslaved to our transgressions and sins. This is what he says. That that's the image we have, is death and sin, that we were following the ways of the world, he says, and this is helpful. So it starts, with you and your life, that you are somebody personally that has missed the mark. Is anyone here, has anyone here lived a perfect life? Never thought, an envious thought in their life, never got, used your anger inappropriately towards a spouse? Anyone, anyone has anyone really not done that? Because I'd love to talk to you after this. Um, okay, so we've all missed the mark. We were designed to live perfect lives, perfect loving relationship with, we were designed to have a perfect loving relationship with God and with each other with all of creation, we've all participated in the vandalization of that shalom. And so that's what Paul says, it's your life. But he also says, not just your transgressions and sins, but you follow the ways of the world. And this, we've talked about this. What he's referring to is culture, uh, the environment we're influenced by. Would you agree that our culture and environment has a different set of particular values and ideals than the Bible, would you agree with this? Do I need to make this case? I feel like part one, the problem, we don't have to spend that much time, although I want you to get the picture in your head because it's heavy. That the world is shaping how we live, the environment. And what do I mean by environment? The relationships that you have, uh, the work place that you work in, uh, the habits that you've formed over a lifetime, uh, the neighborhoods you live in, the shows you watch, shapes your view of life and things. I mean, both positively and negatively. I, I watched This Is Us. Anyone watch This Is Us? So I'm not gonna give anything away. But, um, but the last episode, not the last one, but the one before that with William, I'm not gonna say anything, but with William, you know what I'm talking about? If you haven't watched it, okay. But it's, it's, it caused a, a, an hour-long reflection in my life towards what does legacy look like. That's a positive influence, Right? But if I was watching Game of Thrones, right, it got real quiet. <laughs> I'm not placing a moral distinction on the two, but it would influence my, my life in maybe a different direction, so I hear. We're being shaped, just like music. I, I, I did this illustration, like you go to the gym after a long week and you're like ready to get on the treadmill if that's what you do, or you're ready to lift some heavy weights and, you, and you put on your like workout mix, but somehow Adele comes on, hello. Do you feel like running a marathon with, hello, it's me. No, you're not gonna be influenced by Adele. Maybe go drink a glass of wine and cry about all your past relationships. <laughs> No, you want M&M, you know, like you want to you hear that beat that gets you going and you're like exhausted, but you're like, yeah, this is my moment, it's my chance. <laughs> Somehow that's what Paul means by follow the ways of the world. No, that's the environment we're, we're, we're living in. Everyone else is doing it. But then Paul slips something else in and he says, um, the way of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work and those who are disobedient. So Paul kind of pulls out another layer. Would you go to that picture? I drew this for you. I'm not very good. Okay, so uh, (laughs) obviously, okay, so that's you in the middle, okay? And, um, and a, the, the second circle around you is the world, your environment, shaping who you are um, and influencing you. So Game of Thrones is shaping who you are, or Adele, whatever. Um, and then the third circle is the kingdom of the air. And this is a phrase Paul will use that is specific to first century context in Ephesus and even spiritual warfare worldviews. What, what you really, really need to understand, Paul is saying that there is a spirit, there are spirits, there are powers, there are supernatural forces that are working against culture, society, world, environment, and you as a person. So you need to understand, Ephesians talks about this more than any other book, really, Um, but there is a kingdom of darkness, spiritual realities, forces, powers, principalities, demons, personal entities, impersonal beings, supra-personal beings. What do I mean by supra? Um, Have you guys seen The Lord of the Rings? So I'll talk to you guys over here. So Lord of the Rings. So, so personal demonic forces, individual forces, we can read about um, possession and stuff like that, but also personal spirits working against you individually um, would be like orcs, right? Or, or uh, the night Riders. Is that what they're called? night Riders? Yeah? So like creepy things. So you're like, oh, you know, you're like, oh, that's scary. But they're not the force of evil that is terrifying, They're not the force of evil that has the power. The force of evil is within the ring. It has the power to corrupt good. That's evil on a macro scale. So things like uh, global poverty, that's supra forces working, like impersonal forces, systemic evil working against nations, societies, cultures, cities, governments, also, on an individual level, when you see a child who doesn't have enough to eat, you could say that is evil manifesting itself on a personal level, but forced by, by a larger supra thing. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is, I'm giving you a spiritual warfare worldview. Because what, what we'll hear over and over again is that Christ has more power than that. He's the name above all other names that you can name when you're trying to throw curses out there. He's got all the power. He's seated in the heavenly realms, which we'll look at. But for now, before Christ, we are stuck, dead, enslaved. We are stuck, dead, and enslaved to our cravings. The, the, it says the desires of our flesh. And he doesn't mean the physical things. He means sinful nature. And, and it says that the, the word desire is a Greek word meaning uh, uh, forbidden things. And it's referring to sexuality. It's referring to anger, dissension. It's referring to our thoughts and not just our behaviors. It's this bigger picture that we're stuck, trapped, enslaved to these cravings and desires of our flesh, that the the world we're operating in, the world influence, that that we want a life that looks like the world. We're valuing the things of the world. We're being shaped by the culture. We're being shaped by Game of Thrones, not the Bible. Um, But that that there's a spiritual dynamic around all of that that's working against us, that we're under the influence of these powers. Does that make sense? And that's a problem because we were designed to live in perfect, loving relationship with God, but we're stuck. And it says, because of that, there's, there's a bigger problem than, than just our, our personal sin issues. It's that we deserve wrath. And this is, this is like, what? okay. So let me just, let me just explain, because th- this is so important to understand who God is and what he's like. Because uh, Paul is saying that we deserve wrath. And this is, this is a, a Hebrew phrase. It was a Semitic way of describing uh, sons of disobedience. This in, we inherited this predicament we, uh, that the sin came into this world, so we are liable for divine punishment. Now stay with me, because for many people, they read the Old Testament and they see God smiting people left and right, and they hear certain Christians standing on certain blocks with certain signs saying that this is what God wants, you to be divinely judged and punished for your sins, okay? That is poor theology. Now, God is wrathful, but let's understand what it means, what, what, I, what this means. And there's, I'm just gonna try to give you a little bit of it so we can understand. It says God's wrath, let me just say this. God's wrath is not like our wrath or anger. It's not a bad temper it's not spite or malice or animosity or revenge and it's not arbitrary it's always predictable it is beyond a mood or a whim it's personal it's God's personal righteous constant hostility towards evil it's his settled refusal to compromise with it and his resolve to destroy it his wrath and love are compatible now what do i how is wrath and love compatible well in in the same way that my love for my, if someone tried to, let me just give it this illustration. I'm just working this out. If someone tried to harm my boy, my little three-year-old Ezra, my love, what comes, what comes bubbling up when someone tries to hurt your loved one? Probably rage. That, that's wrath. That's appropriate. You're gonna do out of love, you're gonna do everything to protect this child. Because we were designed as God's children to live in perfect loving relationship, God has wrath towards anything that harms us as children. And sin and shame and all the stuff that we're trapped in keeps us from that perfect loving relationship. So, this is the image that we're stuck, we're enslaved to all of these things that like Turkish Delight from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We, we know it's not good for us, but we can't stop doing it. Can I get an amen? amen? This is the problem. This is the picture. This is where we find ourselves. Not are we separated from God, not are, are, are we stuck in sin and shame, but we deserve wrath. And then it goes on. And this is where I was just overwhelmed by this one word. You deserve wrath, but... Come on, <laughs> amen to the butt. I was just like, I just, <laughs> you deserve wrath. You're stuck in your sins. There's no way out. You're in slavery, but. Amen. Amen. But because of his great love, because of who God is, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Do you see this this one little sentence? This is so profound. This is the gospel in a nutshell. You deserve this. You're stuck in this. This is what you've lived your life. This is how you've lived your life. But God, because of who he is, not because of who you are, not because of what you can do, not because you're really strong, or you're really smart, or you have freedom and adventure, or you read all the books and you're, you figured it out, or because you're you're really good at making a plan and you're really organized. Not because you went to to therapy. Not because you did anything. No, but because of God, because of who, what's inside of His character and nature, because of that, you've been saved. Because of His love and mercy, and and this is what you need to know. God's wrath does not stand over against his love and mercy. His love triumphs over his wrath. And it says in Romans that he is both just and the justifier. Because his nature and character is justice and righteousness. And, and we should get what we deserve. But God says, no, 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 not on my watch. That's my boy. That's my girl. You're my boy. You're my girl. And so Paul is just diving into this rich theology that that separates us. So we have the problem and here's the solution. It's found in who our God is. Ephesians 2, it says this, verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's through Christ and what Christ has done that we have been saved, that we have been brought, it says, from death made alive in Christ, from death to life. God, out of his character, acts and we have to carry this image. This is, this is what I was thinking. I was, I was thinking, why would on earth would we get stuck carrying this wrathful, angry God in our head? If you read this text, what it's saying is, yes, that is what you deserve, but that's not what happens. What happens is he creates, what happens is Jesus, who is the king, in the heavenly realms, who is all royal, the royal son of God, who has all power and authority, who's the, the, the maker of all, the author of life, the one who's perfect, the lamb, the lion. He's, he's, he gets out of his chair and takes our place and receives everything we deserved in our sin, in our transgressions, in our following the game of thrones way of life. And then we get taken out of this chair with Christ's resurrection. And then it says we get seated with him in the heavenly realms. He gives us his seat. Remember how you were influenced by culture and powers and spiritual forces? You're now sitting above all that, all of that right now with Christ. Do you know this? This is your inheritance. This is who you are. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to operate from this place of identity. Oh, you're you're praying to the powers that be. You don't know. You are the power that be when you walk into work. Do you really? Christ is in you. You've been raised to life. You went from death to life. In the language, oh, it's saved. You've been saved. Oh, this is so good. You've been saved. And, And this word has been hijacked by certain groups in the church. And I just wanna make sure we understand what it means today so that you walk out knowing what salvation is in the Bible because it's more than just a ticket to heaven. It's more than what happens after you die if you believe in Jesus. It's more than just the forgiveness of sins. It's more than your penalty being paid It's more than just being freed. It's deliverance. It's transformation. It's holistic. It's grand. It's healing and wholeness here and now. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ all in the gospels. Brothers and sisters, salvation, the word saved is sozo. Say sozo. So this is a very complex word because its connotation is to to be delivered from slavery and bondage. You were trapped and you've been delivered, but it also means well-being, it means wholeness. It means healing. Here's a couple of verses. So here's one I want to just show you, so you can get a picture, because uh, all over the New Testament, this word is used for other things. And there's a story, and you need to know the story, because next time you think about salvation, I don't want you thinking about what you believe, so that you go somewhere else when you die. I want you to think about what Jesus has come to do in your life and all life around us. And there's a story of a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And in this context, that meant spiritual isolation from God. She couldn't go to the temple to offer gifts because she's unclean, because she's, she's bleeding. In, in, in first century context, a Jewish woman who had a, a regular cycle was when she had her cycle and was bleeding, she was marked as unclean. And then after she was done bleeding, she would perform a ceremonial washing, wait a few days, and then she could go back in and experience the, the total fellowship with God, but also social isolation. She wasn't allowed to touch other people or humans in her community or friends because they would be marked as unclean. Physical isolation. She's traumatized and her with this illness, this ailment that causes her to bleed. And imagine the emotional baggage. Could you, for one minute, this woman spends all of her savings and money, it says, for doctors to cure her, but no one could, be, no one could cure her. And then she says to herself, if I could only touch the cloak of Jesus, I will be sozo. I will be saved, healed, made well. And what does she do? She touches the cloak. And Jesus goes, who touched me? In a crowd touching him. He knew that the power of God delivered his beautiful daughter because she too is a son, a daughter of Abraham. She went in peace. There's another story of a demon-possessed man. You remember the story of Legion? Jesus shows up to uh, the Gentiles, a land of Gentiles. These are unclean people. And, uh, and the Jew- good, good Jewish boys and girls never went to that land. And Jesus shows up. And the first person he's confronted with in this land is not just one demon-possessed man, but a man who's possessed by thousands of legion. Jesus confronts him, and, and it says that he was howling at night, crying out in torment, cutting himself. Cutting himself in pain. No one could do anything. He couldn't be restrained by shackles and chains. Jesus shows up, liberates the demon-possessed man, and what the people say is this in, in the Luke chapter 8, It says, but Jesus said, uh, oh wait, that's Matthew. That's not the right verse. I'll I'll read it to you. It says in Luke chapter eight, verse 36, it says, the demon-possessed man said, uh, uh, people, it says this, verse verse 36, those who had seen it told people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. So those watching what happened, those who had experienced it for themselves had told everyone else how the demon-possessed man was sozoed. Saved, healed, delivered. Brothers and sisters, why do I say this? Well, it's important to understand that salvation is more than the forgiveness of sins. It's more than just simply a ticket into heaven. It's not simply a penalty being paid or us having freedom from God's wrath and anger. Salvation is not just what happens when you die. It's holistic. It's about transformation. It's about healing. It's, it's about moving from death to life. Salvation from death to life here and now, from slavery to freedom, from brokenness to wholeness, from oppression to liberation, from anxiety to peace, it's about rescue it's about being set free it's about being set free from your uncontrollable anger here and now today that you can experience a life without anxiety or worry this is what he's it's not when you die but now does anyone want that? that's salvation that's transformation in Christ the old word that we use in other churches is sanctification this is what it works looks like in Philippians chapter 2 Paul says this therefore My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. So it's by grace that you've been saved. Salvation, it's this bigger thing. It's about total transformation. Paul says to work out your salvation. What's going on here? Well, let me just say this. Salvation is life before death. that Jesus not only comes to give you life after death, but he comes to bring life before death. This is so much of what he says in the New Testament. And somehow we've made it about something else. Just believe these right things about this God and then you can go somewhere else when you die. So don't care about anyone else around you, except that they need to be saved from the the hellfire coming. But that's not the message of Jesus. Adopt and practice the lifestyle of Jesus. Usher people into this kingdom life. Experience total transformation here and now through the power of the Holy Spirit. To be Christian is to work out your salvation, to experience transformation. I was talking to somebody earlier. If we are truly Christians, we should be growing in our Christ likeness over a long period of time. We should be less worried in the future than we are today because we're expanding, we're growing, we're moving. We might experience pain and trauma and all sorts of things, but Christ is trying to expand us. I always ask this question to leaders. Who are you becoming and who do you want to become based on your habits? So based on your habits right now, let's say you're distracted, you're anxious, and you're exhausted. Anyone here exhausted from trying so hard? Anyone exhausted from trying so hard to get things right for God? This is what the text says, is that the, the beginning of our spiritual journey is God moving us into the spiritual experience, this new ex- spiritual experience in a position of rest. The first image we have is in Ephesians is that we are seated with Christ. We sit. Then he'll talk about walking out your faith in life. And then he'll talk about standing up against spiritual opposition but our spiritual journey begins here is that good news yes. so how do we work out i just a quick little teaching moment how do we work out our salvation is anyone here full of anxiety anyone here full of and we don't have to raise our hands on this one lust although maybe we should i'm raising it okay i'm full of lust We have addiction to pornography in the room. We have addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs. Uh, We have uncontrollable rage and anger towards loved ones and spouses and freeways. Um, (laughs) Not in that order. Uh, We have hurry sickness. We have exhaustion from trying to prove our value and worth. We have gluttony and greed and envy and Pharisaism where we are looking down at the people next to us because we have a better view of God. We hear God's voice. We have, we are, we're, some of us are marginalizing people. So if you've experienced any of those things in your life, how do you work out that transformation in your life? Well, quick, I think this is a teaching moment for some of us, so I wanna just offer this to you. Um, the power comes through an encounter with the Holy Spirit, first, that we have to live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. The second is we have to replace old thoughts and ideas with new thoughts and teachings of Jesus right? The third, um, and we're going to get into this in the future, but I want to just drop this here because it's going to come out in Ephesians 4. Um, The third piece, do I, I didn't write this down. Um, The third piece is we need to develop new habits. So we have to take off the old habits and put on the new, which is Ephesians 4. But some of us uh, keep walking down the same road because we keep walking down the same road. Take a different road. You keep lusting when no one's around and you're living with your, your roommates uh, and you keep following that lust down the path, well, don't have a computer in your home. Shut off Wi-Fi because it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven than to be and cut off an arm than to not, right? So that's, that's, that's pretty graphic, but that's old behavior. That's like Logan, the new Wolverine film. That's like um, old behavior, <laughs> which I have seen, and that definitely influenced me. Uh, <laughs> uh, the fourth is you, you have to work out your salvation in meaningful community. Oh, I was in a community group uh, on Tuesday. Our group had an incredible, uh, just, I was like dumbfounded by our experience, and I'm not saying that our group's the best, but um <laughs> Because it's in Seal Beach, and I'm in the Seal Beach group, so I feel like I'm cheating on Long Beach. So, um, but it was pretty remarkable, and here's what I mean. It was like the truest form of church I've experienced in a very long time, where people are sharing vulner- their vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Other people are having prophetic words, and then we get to this place where we're praying and ministering to each other, and it's just power of God is there. The, the only way you truly grow generally is in a community that will support your growth. You will grow backwards or forwards based on the people around you. So if you don't have family that will call you out, if you're not openly confessing, I'm dealing with lots of depression this week. And you don't have people that come around you and go, we're gonna pray God's hope into your life. Then you're, you're, you're gonna be worse off. Does that make sense? So community. And then fifth is everyday ordinary life that you have to recognize that salvation happens over time. Am I redefining salvation for some of us? Okay, so this is I'm talking about transformation and wholeness, and the word "sozo" is is bigger than just a transaction that happens, although what I need to go into is what's next, and it says, "And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him." I'm coming to an end in just a second um, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order, I love you Jeremiah, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, and listen a second time, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. If we don't understand anything, if we understand anything today, it's grace. That um, I I wanna invite you to practice a lifestyle of Jesus, to experience transformation over eternity because you will keep growing into the age to come. Um, but God, once and for all, moves us from death to life in Christ Jesus on the cross, and that for the rest of eternity, we will be growing into becoming who we already are. This is all big stuff um, that we can change today from being anxious to people of peace over a long period of time. It won't happen overnight. Some of us will experience an encounter with God, and our peace uh, will come immediately and we'll be freed from anxiety. The rest of us will be working this out in community over a long period of time. Does that make sense? Holistic transformation in salvation. But once and for all, what you need to know is that we have been, we have been saved through grace. You were dead. You were stuck in your old ways and behavior. You have missed the mark. You were following the ways of the world. You were ruled by demonic forces, powers, and principalities. You were focusing your entire life around yourself and cravings. You've been trapped. You stood condemned. You deserved a just punishment, God's wrath. But because of who God is and what Christ did for us on the cross, and for those that say yes to Jesus and put their faith in Jesus, we are now moved from death to life. We are raised up Over the spiritual forces opposing us, we're given new life. We're spiritually awakened. We're given power to act into this world. We sit in a place of rest and spiritual authority. We've we've been given a new inheritance and we have the hope that we can be freed once and for all from self-focus, from slavery, from our need to follow the ways of the world, from our past, from our lust from our anger, from our rage, our gluttony, our sexual desires, and our identity being anything outside of being the beloved child of God. We are freed from the guilty verdict and we are announced innocent because we stand in Christ. And this, brothers and sisters, all of this is summed up in a word, grace. And grace is the atmosphere as Christians we live in. Grace is the air of the kingdom. Grace is God acting in our life to accomplish what we could never do on our own. We deserve this chair. He takes us out of it, puts us here, and takes our place instead. We didn't do anything to deserve it, earn it. We didn't do anything to accomplish it. We receive grace. And the central message, please hear this the central message of the Christian faith is grace. We didn't deserve it. Jesus is not wine for connoisseurs, He is water for the thirsty. We do not stand at the gate as gatekeepers. We stand at the center of the well as beggars. If our message is anything other than grace, it's the wrong message. And if you have any other message in your own life of grace, you have the wrong message. And that's what you need to hear today. That is an act of God, a sovereign act of God that sets you apart. It's not karma, it's not climbing a ladder, it's not some intellectual enlightenment, it's not a quota to make, it's not any you can't do anything to earn, impress, deserve, or prove your worthiness. You are alive simply because of grace. And this has to be the hardest thing for us to accept. Isn't it? We are earners. We are Busy bodies. We are people that have to get things done, things to learn, people to help, traffic to negotiate, books to read, uh, walks to take, coffee to drink, life to get done. We accomplish, don't we? We produce and we consume, but faith, we are saved by grace through faith. And I'll end with this, and this is the response that Paul gives us. How do we respond to this great message? Not my message, but the message of Ephesians. I wasn't calling it great. (laughs) I'm just reiterating what Paul already said. How do we respond? Well, the answer is faith. Faith is it. It's too good to be true. The is too good to be true. But faith is simply the human response by which God's salvation is received, by which we enter into a relationship and begin this process of transformation in life, being experienced to its fullest and wholeness. It's, it's more than just a mental belief. Faith in Greek is about pledging confidence and trust It's about living, walking, standing, or I'll use this illustration. It's about sitting in the reality of what is true. And what is true, brothers and sisters, that in Christ, you are freed. You are saved. You are loved. You are good enough. You can't do anything else but sit and receive it. So faith is the act of sitting. Faith is opening up your hands to receive the gift. That's how the process of salvation begins. So this message is all over the place and where it leads is such a profound insight from Paul is that it moves to this place of action. But I don't wanna, I don't wanna move there. I'm gonna go there in a couple weeks. It moves to this idea that we have been created. So all of this is so that we can know that we are created for good works in the world. But for us to understand how we are to operate and work out this thing in the world, we first have to receive it for ourselves and understand grace.
0: Thank you for listening to the Garden Church podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
3: five